Lord, you're worthy of praise more than we could ever uh, dig deep enough to find or even come close to radiating your power and your goodness. For no one can actually even see you and live. We see little shadows and reflections of your glory and your goodness. We thank you for again for uh, shining down on us, opening our eyes up to the truth of your word. Pray that we would grow together in your grace, in Jesus' name, amen. We take a moment, say hi to those that are around you, smile at somebody. Hug somebody. Be nice to somebody. All right, we're continuing on until Jesus returns, the never-ending eternal story. <laughs> Acts chapter 9, last week we began. This week uh, uh, we're going to go on to the, the last section of uh, Acts chapter 9, verse 32 through 43. A community uh, that has typically been very divided, is unified, uh, healed, and brought back to life. So first, unity in the community. Acts chapter 9, verse 32. As Peter traveled about the country, he went to visit the Lord's people who lived in Lydda. There he found a man named um, Anias. I always think of the Hebrew pronunciation when I, when I look him up. Anias, who was paralyzed and had been bedridden for eight years. Anias, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and roll up your mat. Immediately, uh, Anias got up. All those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, uh, her name is Dorcas. She was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lydda was near Joppa, so when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men and urged him, please come at once. And Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to a room. All the widows turned, uh, stood around him, crying and showing him the, the robes and the other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Peter sent them out of the room, then he got down on his knees and prayed, and turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, uh, she sat up. She took, he took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called for the believers, especially the widows, and presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa. Many people believed in the Lord. Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. I'll talk about the two miracles in part two of this message, but first let me stop and talk about the radical change in relationship here by this last little line, verse 43, that Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. Simon the tanner. The Talmud, or writings of ancient uh, rabbis explaining how to live out the law in everyday life, uh, states the world can exist neither without a perfume maker, nor without a tanner. Happy is he whose craft is that of a perfume maker, and woe to him who is a tanner by trade. 
somebody who worked with leather in biblical times, you know, they wanted sandals, they wanted shoes, they wanted wineskins, they wanted straps and harnesses for their horses and donkeys and camels. Uh, they wanted to be able to store liquids and transport them, you know, like a leather canteen. And it's still widely used in the Middle East. Lots of writing material was also produced uh, from hides. And it was ritually important that certain leathers were used when uh, from clean animals, biblically clean animals in ancient times for uh, Torah scrolls. Uh, the straps were usually made from animals that were ritually clean. Um, but uh, they... If you worked with leather, you worked with leather, you know, so you worked with unclean animals, you worked with dead carcasses, you were separating, uh, uh, you know, flesh from skin of dead uh, critters. Uh, another rabbi had made a law that m allowed women to divorce their husbands, uh, even if they married their husband who was a tanner, they knew he was a tanner, and they knew he worked with leather, but if she found she couldn't tolerate it anymore, like she knew he worked, even though I knew he was working with these dead bodies, and he had to proclaim himself as unclean a lot, wasn't allowed in the synagogue or temple at certain times, uh, if she just found out, like, I just can't deal with it anymore, I can't stand it, that divorce was acceptable. So it kind of tells you, like, how far down the chain of respect somebody, Simon the Tanner, was that divorce was more acceptable than the occupation of, uh, uh, I keep wanting to say leathersmith, but that wouldn't make sense, would it? Maybe that's because I, when I was a kid, we had those leather belts in, shop, in class and we, in art class, and we, do you remember doing those things where you smacked them and did your little imprints on your leather belt? How many made a leather belt in school? Okay, we did it in school. I, I'm, a, I'm a tanner of sorts. And, but for mine, I got to pick a belt buckle, and I had this big sunrise with this motorcycle guy, silhouette, jumping off this thing on a sunrise. And I wore that belt buckle with my leather belt that said Lance right back there, just in case I forgot whose it was. I guess I put my name on it. But So the tanner's house location also was a community kind of conversation. Like you weren't allowed in the city, you weren't allowed in certain neighborhoods, you were on the outskirts of the, of the village, you were usually positioned where the most prevalent wind would take the smells of your, of your dead animals away from the community. A tanner's, uh, uh, you know, occupation, uh, not one esteemed. So someone who's looked down and even one of the lowest craftsmen in the Jewish faith is now hosting Peter, the evangelist. It's kind of shocking that Peter would consider this because his, you know, he he's still walking around with Jews and who are proclaiming they're clean and unclean. And, and in chapter 10, Peter has this discussion that we'll read here in the weeks coming where, uh, if you remember, like, Peter says he's not going to eat certain things and the Lord gives him this vision and he realized and God says to him, you know, don't call anything that I've called clean, unclean. And there's this whole, you know, revelation for Peter about 
his eating habits and how he's viewed some of creation that God now through Christ has opened all these things up. And it, it seems like Peter's a little head on, ahead on the curve socially in how he interacts with people. He hasn't learned this lesson about the diet yet, but the heart of what God has done through Jesus is glaring and shining through in this little tiny verse that Peter's realized that God has promoted everyone to equal status in Christ Jesus. Now, I would hope that our prejudice is dissolved in a relationship with Jesus Christ as you become a follower of Christ. It's understandable with our biases and others influencing our our perspective how racial lines can be hostile when you're young and immature. Like, you say things that, you know, are racially charged probably that are, uh, you know, uh, kind of a sign of your own immaturity. And ignorance and hatred have produced you know, hellish actions against others who look or talk or have a a different last name than us. Like, I grew up in, I think, kind of a sheltered little town here in Sioux Falls. And we're more diverse now, but imagine 40 years ago, you know, what what Sioux Falls was like. Uh, Someone that I, 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 I knew very well said to me when they found out I was going up to Minneapolis and to... Bible College in downtown Minneapolis from little old sheltered Sioux Falls, South Dakota, you know, and somebody had told me, lock your car doors, Lance. I was like, what do you mean? When you get into Minneapolis, because there are black people who will run right up to your car with a gun. And I was like, what? Yeah. So they were telling me basically people are getting carjacked like at gunpoint on the roads in Minneapolis. And I was like, I'm going to be in Bible school up there. So I was like, I remember getting on I-35 and I saw the first sign, like Minneapolis, and I reached over. (laughs) I'm going going 55 miles an hour, not 56, because the law was stay alive at 55 back then. And I reach over and I lock. I had to physically, like, reach over, lock my doors on the interstate because there are black people in this city. You know, but that's like, the, 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 it, it influenced my brain, like so somebody saying, they're going to run right up to you, and, and, and I, I was kind of nervous. It didn't take long before, you know, I lived in Minneapolis, and I was engaged in witnessing the folks on the street corners, and Joan, little old Joan from Larchwood, Iowa, riding the bus because it was a hassle sometimes to have a car and park the car, and so Joan would take the bus from our house in downtown Minneapolis over to the University of Minnesota. It didn't take long where we were fully acclimated and realized this is no big deal. You're nice to people. People are nice to you. It doesn't matter. You know, I just didn't grow up in the now. Now we're much more not a heavily integrated, you know, international community, but it certainly would look like it to somebody who was here 50 years ago like I was. When we lived in Stockton, California for a few years, <coughs> we, Joan and I would engage with people at the counter. I, I just remember once, it was like a Burger King or something like that, and we were ordering, what? Oh, it's Kentucky Fried Chicken, back before you wouldn't let me go there anymore. And, uh, but, hey, but when we were out in Seattle, they said, you know why they call it KFC? 
they can't call it Kentucky Fried Chicken because they've been hybriding and making these genetic creatures that they're not even chickens anymore. So they have to call it KFC. The government won't let them call it Kentucky Fried Chicken anymore. <laughs> it was just an urban myth by tree huggers in Seattle. <laughs> but we were in we were in California, and I was youth pastoring there. And I'm over the counter, and I'm just ordering food. And Joan said this time it was at a KFC. But it happened a lot of places that we went, at the BP, at the Quick Stop, at the Burger King, KFC. And just looking people in the eyes and talking to them we'd often people people would often say to us over the counter you're not from around here are you <laughs> right <laughs> like i go why <sighs> you can't just tell you're not from around here you know <laughs> you look at people in the eyes you're smiling you're you're engaged here we're blessed to to be a blessing that new life in jesus all things become new, even no matter how you were raised, whatever kind of prejudices you grew up with, which, you know, your, your cultural differences, they, they, it gets real blurred real fast when the Holy Spirit invades your life. Amen? That you're blessed to be a blessing. You're, you're not better than anyone else. A leather worker or a farmer, what, what's the difference? A teacher or a lawyer in Christ, we're, we're equal. A doctor or a, a Lyft driver? child of God, a Native American or a Wildebor. Oh, whoops, that's not a people. Okay, made in his image. Jesus has ripped down these dividing walls between us, amen? And maybe Peter, I, the, I thought maybe Peter was kind of trying to live on the down low too. Maybe it wasn't such a, you know, like was he hanging out in the spot and nobody wanted to be down in the smelly Simon's place, you know? But it's evidence that Peter isn't carrying a superior attitude, that there's a new level of acceptance now that's unifying folks that before have been on the outskirts, that have been uh, pushed aside, that have been overlooked. Just a few years later, uh, while I was living in Minneapolis, <coughs> Joan and I, uh, I was in the United States Marine Corps, uh, and most of my time was in my in my in the United States Marine Reserve, so Sergeant Wrench here. And there was this really buffed black man from Alabama, and he was as southern as grits and as black as coal, but he knew Jesus. And he was really the only person I hung out with. Like one time. We went to a chapel service for all the Marines, this battalion. I don't know how many hundreds of Marines were there. And there were two guys in church, just in the front row, Fred and Lance, right there, black and white. That was the whole crowd. It was half white and half black. It was a perfectly unified, it was the most integrated service I've ever been in, uh, percentage-wise. But what... What brought these, this kid from South Dakota and this guy from Alabama and made them just like friends so comfortably, so quickly, so Jesus Christ tore apart those dividing walls that separate us. Amen? And now, no matter what your color, what your build, what your culture, 
what your accent is, brought together in him. Will you stand with me? Lord, we just stand here as a people with the opportunity to be unified with one heart, with one purpose, to glorify the name of Jesus through all we do. Would you continue to invade this space and the secret spaces of our heart and our mind today that they would be dedicated to your purposes in Jesus' name. Part of your sacrifice of praise is uh, is sacrificing your resources to the Lord as an offering. Um, really, you, you could get probably just as much benefit if we took all your money up here and we lit it on fire and gave it to the Lord that way, and all of you that write a check probably think that's a good idea. <laughs> and uh, because it's really about us giving to God. It's not about uh, um, whether there's a need, looks like there's a need or not. Um, and Lord, we just want to be continuing giving from our lives. And thank you that you've made us uh, into uh, a resource that uh, we've been able to be productive. Cause, and without you have transforming us, we'd be just grabbing and trying to get for ourselves in this world. And, but you've, you've turned our lives around. You've transformed us and becoming more like you. And as you set the ultimate example and of giving your only son, of coming to here, of sacrificing your life and breath, of not, not having a place to lay your head, not, not building a temple of Jesus, not, not building a campus of God, but, but doing something inside the, the treasures of the kingdom. And I pray, Lord, you continue to impart that revelation to us and um, that we would uh, not be building our own kingdom or our own palaces here, but you continue to work through us, help us to have our priorities in right order, and challenge us, Lord. The, rebuke us. Uh, we are your kids. We, we at times, we need to be uh, disciplined. Lord, we give you permission to work in, through, and among us. In Jesus' name, amen. Maybe you have a request that you just want to whisper to the Lord right where you're at. Father, you, you, hear, you hear us. Help us to be honest most of all with you. Obviously, you see beyond our facade, the masks that we wear, the image we project. Lord, thank you. That you know us, you know every every part, every secret. You love us. You're patient and kind. You're looking out for our benefit. You're not trying to expose us as frauds. You're not trying to expose us as sinners. That part's obvious. You love us, and you, you there's a cheer from heaven going forward for us. Thank you, Lord, that you made a way possible in Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Smile as you're sitting back down. Smile at somebody. The guy up here in front, intimidated by all you people, smile at him.
that's a lot of fake smiles right there. <sighs> Miracles in the book of Acts. <clears throat> and specifically here in chapter 9. We started out a community divided is unified and my subtitle healed and brought back to life. Peter and Simon modeling unity in Jesus and now let's take a little peek at these uh, two pretty radical uh, community-impacting miracles. Listen to Robert Hamlin uh, as he explains miracles from a theological perspective. Miracles have been described as the untiring work of the Lord, of the Lord God. His work usually is seen in natural law, but sometimes God steps out from his concealment behind natural law and demonstrates openly his work when God does this he operates above and beyond the laws of nature he does this because he's working towards other ends men call this a miracle a miracle now listen to this this is a key little synapses of the statement a miracle is not a greater manifestation of the power of God but it's a different manifestation of the power of God, okay? When, when a miracle happens, it's not like, oh, there's something greater happening there. It's just a different, it's an, it's an actual, it's kind of a tactile uh, representation of the power of God. I like to think of miracles as God's, like, invisible hand, like, because God works beyond our dimensions, you know, like extending into our uh, human and earthly kind of dimension and and uh, heightening our awareness of him, reminding us of his uh, supreme power beyond every limit that, we're, you know, because we're kind of limited by what we see, hear, smell, touch. But it's almost as if God can uh, open up the, these realms and and sh show us little reflections of his mighty power. Specific miracles in the book of Acts, though. Uh, I'll speed read this list of 20 uh, from Acts chapter 2, uh, uh, 3, 4, 5, 8, 9, 12, 13, 14, 16, 20, 28, and 29. Or, I mean, 28, not 29. There is no Acts 29. You are Acts 29. That's why I said it. Uh, Acts 28, 8. Uh, so, sound of mighty rushing wind, tongues of fire, miraculous speech, lame men healed, build, the building is shaken where they're gathering, sudden death of Ananias and Sapphira, imprisoned apostle, apostles freed by an angel, Philip transported to the desert of uh, Azotus, we've, and we've kind of covered those last week, uh, light uh, and voice of Saul's conversion, Saul blinded and healed, Aeneas healed uh, of paralysis here, chapter 9. Dorcas restored to life, Herod's violent death. Uh, Elimus, the sorcerer, blinded. The cripple at Lystra healed. Demons cast out of a slave girl. Paul freed from prison by earthquake. Eutychus raised to death. A kid who falls asleep, in, uh, basically falls asleep in church and dies. Falls out of a window, and then he gets brought back to life. Paul unaffected by a viper's bite, uh, and uh, the father of... Uh, uh, a publis healed. Joan had mentioned to me, uh, she was at, a, what was that gathering you were at? You had mentioned to me about a guy teaching about marketplace miracles. Um, I can't remember what it was, but 
anyway, uh, and he stated there, and so Joan told me, hey, I heard this guy speaking about uh, ministry in the marketplace and, and how, the, how the book of Acts, that there were only two of the miracles of all the book of Acts um, that happened uh, inside of the church, that all the other miracles happened outside of the church. And what he was trying to argue is that the, the critical nature of the work of the Holy Spirit out in the marketplace, out in at your job site, out in your neighborhood, right? And he has a strong argument, but the facts are a little weak that there were actually two miracles happening that were would be considered inside of the church walls because obviously they couldn't meet in the synagogues anymore. So they were meeting in homes and they were gathering in courtyards. And so uh, they're Organized gatherings might have looked a little bit different, but and the perspective of what the church is is the walls have been kind of blown up, and and now the church is wherever people are gathering in the name of Christ. But I do believe a majority of the miracles in Acts took place outside of sanctioned gatherings, outside of kind of organized kind of events. And since the the new Jesus followers were mostly banned from the temple and the synagogue and and uh, gathering in homes and courtyards and wherever the Holy Spirit gathered them. I, I, it's probably a, a, a difficult argument, but I think there's room for 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 both statements to be true, that there were lots of miracles that happened where gatherings of people were and there are lots of marketplace kind of miracles happening. So even if you credit each gathering spot, as the church meetings and homes, courtyards, momentous evangelistic events that look like they're pulled together here in the book of Acts or happening spontaneously laced with miracles. There's a strong case that the majority of the miracles in the book of Acts took place in the marketplace and in informal gatherings by the work of the Holy Spirit, not formal kind of what we would know as a, a church gathering. OK. Now, there are mentions of other miracles besides these that have a little more of a specific tag there uh i don't know i i i heard a phrase of cluster miracles or i think of costco miracles where there's big quantities of them but they don't get into um uh listing what those were like acts chapter 2 says many signs and wonders 243 uh, chapter 5 says many signs and wonders so you know uh let's see acts chapter 5 says the shadow of peter healed those people that he's walking by so we don't know what all those healings were just that when the shadow of peter walking through cast that people were being miraculously healed uh, and Acts chapter 6, verse 8, we read about Stephen who did great signs and wonders. Uh, the multitude were, were uh, hearing and seeing the miracles that Philip did in Acts chapter 8. Uh, the Lord did signs and wonders that were done by their hands in, in uh, Acts 14, Barnabas and Paul. Uh, it states how the miracles and wonders had worked through them. Acts chapter 15, Acts chapter 19, God worked in unusual miracles by the hands of Paul, where even the handkerchiefs uh, that he had used. So, you know, after he used them, <laughs> you know, they were used handkerchiefs. Then there was healing power in them. So people were taking Paul's boogers and no, I'm just kidding. That wasn't in my notes and that just came to me for the first time and I don't think it was the Holy Spirit. Uh, Acts chapter 28, that the rest of those on the island had been healed of the diseases who came. Uh, uh, I must be listing the Isle of Patmos. must be John there. They're talking about. Now, I found like seven different lists that are all kind of similar to this and different ways that people interpret where these gatherings were. So I'm, I'm not going to get hung up on them. But there were some big statements 
not even giving specifics to the types of miracles, the number of miracles, nor does it give any hints about what kind of environment that it happened in. But here in Acts chapter 9, the, spe- the specific locations were city names. The first miracle uh, seems unplanned, and it's a divine uh, kind of opportunity that Peter finds himself in. He's traveling to, uh, to be with believers, it says. As Peter traveled about the country, he went to visit the Lord's people who lived in Lydda. Verse 32, that's where we began. There he found a man named Aeneas, Aeneas, who was paralyzed and had been bedridden for eight years. Aeneas, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up, roll up your mat. And immediately he got up. And all those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. That there was this dynamic uh, thing that happens, uh, this miracle where Aeneas, uh, was he a believer? We don't really know. Uh, it seems like he's somebody associated with these believers that, that Peter uh, just found, it says he found a man. So it's almost as if he, he comes upon this circumstance, probably somebody connected to these believers that he first travels to and launches some ministry there in Lydda and Sharon. He's re, he, he wasn't even in this conversation anyway. We don't find where there's this guy coming to Peter or somebody bringing Peter to them, but, but just happens this unplanned by Peter and the others that God goes out of his way to touch someone and the result is that it it wakes up a community that must have been kind of shocking that all those in the community turn to the Lord what was that like like a whole community I, I don't know how many hundreds I don't know how many thousands of people but that's a pretty big statement that everyone all those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord in stark contrast, the folks from Joppa, Peter is sent for. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas, and everybody always smirks when you read Dorcas, okay? She was always going, uh, doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in upstairs room. Lydda was near Joppa, so when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, please come at once. Lydda and Joppa are in the same region, but it's 10 miles away. So I, I don't know how long it would take to walk 10 miles. How many, anybody here walked 10 miles before? Walked a half marathon? How long does that take, Steve? Takes a whole day. So when she dropped you off outside of town and you guys had that big fight and you walked all the way home, <laughs> it took all day to get back, 10 miles. She just said, get out. Is that what? We'll talk about it later, Steve. Okay. <laughs> all day. Now, I ran the Sioux Falls bike path in 19 miles in, I don't know, it took me about three hours to go that. So, and that was a pretty good clip. I was, I was probably running like, you know, pretty good clip. <laughs> they were only like eight minute miles or whatever, but something like that. I don't know. And they weren't very fast, but it was, it was long. It was hard. But I think about what is Brandon about 10 miles away? It's fa- longer than that from here, but from my house is Brandon 10 miles away from my, from my east side of the east side. Um, our houses are 12 miles apart. Okay. So it's 10 miles. Oh, I know how. Yeah, my house to the casino. It's 10 miles. I know how far that is. <laughs> Just kidding, Carl. 
My house to Carl's house, about 10 miles. <coughs> Three, four hours of a walk at least, right? Wouldn't you think? Like, especially if you're walking in one of those Bible gowns that we all know the disciples wore and with sandals, you know. But, you know, you're being, somebody sent to you, so they travel, prop, uh, maybe by camel, I don't know. But, you know, they send for, they send for Peter. And Peter travels this three, four hours to pray over this person who's been dead and cleaned up and body set aside. So some kind of embalming process that has happened, and they've put her upstairs in a room, and she's loved by the folks around her because she's been known for her good deeds and helping others and and, this loving, kind, dead girl. And Peter travels three, four hours, so she's been dead for a while and prior to that and sent the guys to go get the message to him and it said hey we have this really loved dead girl and we want you to come over to our community and what pray over her. so what what were they expecting peter just to bring her back to life how would you like this request now i've been asked a lot of times to pray for six sick folks and gone into the hospital and and but never have i been called and was there any hint like, Pastor Lance, we need you to come over here because, you know, we need to get her out of the hospital today. So come on over, lay hands on her so we can get her out of this, you know. Uh, matter of fact, no one's ever called me once and said, I don't want to have this surgery, Pastor Lance. It's scheduled for 10. Could you come over about 9? Because I really don't want to go through and have my um, liver removed or my... What uh, <laughs> people don't remove the liver, get a new liver, right? But uh, I, I was trying to think of what's that thing they always take out that nobody needs? No, the appendix, appendix, gallbladder. I think you kind of need a little more than appendix. We'll probably find out in heaven that there was a real good need for appendix. Probably something they ate in that region that we don't have over here. But what kind of? How would you like that? Like be called in to to over a dead person who's kind of been embalmed and set aside. Now, I've prayed carefully for people, and I ask the Lord to heal them, but I also acknowledge, you know, like I have these dual things going on in my brain when I'm asked to pray for somebody and pray a prayer of faith that they'll be healed. Like, in my humanity, I'm like, well, I don't know what God's all doing here, so I'll pray for this person, and I'll pray asking for miraculous, supernatural healing, and yet at the same time, I'm like, I don't know what God's up to, and I, I've never once, I've, I've only when I think about going into a hospital and praying over random sick people that, that I thought I couldn't, I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't do that. Like how, like how would I just go up to random people and just declare the name of Jesus over them and expect them to like, cause that's kind of like the hit that people who are like, have a reputation in ministry as an evangelist who might be like performs a lot of miracles well why don't they just go to the hospital instead of meeting in a church why don't they just go to the hospital and show the power of jesus over and clear out those hospitals and make room for some other people uh you know so i'm careful when i pray for people thinking like dual in my brain like i want to declare in faith you know the authority of jesus over terminal cancer but i yet i don't have control over the situation i it's god and yet i know god's able and God's able to do above and beyond that we could ask or even imagine. There's no end to God's expressions of his power. 
So I do believe that there are certain people that have a healing dynamic to their ministry that uh, uh, have been often accompanied by many people decisions for Christ. It seems consistent to the words of the book of Acts that miracles got people's attention, uh, grabbed an audience, got their attention to hear the declarations of Jesus. My point here is in chapter 9 that God seeks out one man who wasn't probably even thinking, he wasn't searching for healing, but the supernatural power of God was brought to him as Peter's just traveling throughout his region, comes upon him, finds him, boom, prays over him in the name of Jesus, he's restored. Another person is sought out, hears about Peter being in there, hey, let's bring, get this miracle working evangelist over to our neighborhood because we have a very dear friend who's been dead for a little while and we'd like her to be alive. She was so young. She was so kind. She was so beautiful. Both miracles happen. In Lydia, all who believed are affected. In Joppa, it says many believed. In verse 12 of, uh, uh, or in chapter, um, in verse 12 of Acts 9, we started with Peter's friendship with Tanner, Simon the Tanner, that God is bringing folks from every tribe, every tongue, every culture, every uh, kind of background together in Jesus. Aeneas, the crippled man, is made well. Dorcas is raised from the dead. It could be said a community that's divided in Christ becomes united, healed, and even brought back to life. Will you stand with me? Lord, you know where you're allowing us to go when we leave this place. And I believe for some in this room, there are some divine appointments, opportunities to pray over people who need a miracle. That we just come upon them. That through the course of our day, through the course of our lunch, through the course of some other errands we have to run today, through some chores we have to do, Lord, would you open our eyes up to opportunities to pray for the supernatural power of Jesus to manifest itself in somebody's life that we come upon. We just, we just run into somebody with a great need. Would you help us, Lord, to have the eyes and the heart of heaven, to, to speak for you, to pray in the name of Jesus? And Lord, other requests that, that come to us via a text, via a Facebook group, um, an email group, uh, some people that... Uh, know that we have a contact with a mighty God. There's some people that don't, they don't have that kind of confidence, but they know that, that we know Jesus and that he's real and that we believe he's able to heal, restore, deliver.